and Christ is going to continue on those themes tonight as we go to John 15. You can turn there. Just verses 9 through 17 tonight. We're taking this discourse and this teaching, this final teaching that Jesus is giving his beloved followers, his disciples, we're taking it in small increments to really meditate and really think through all that Jesus is saying here. And there are some, there are some powerful words in here tonight. Some of the most beloved phrases, maybe in all the whole scriptures, certainly in the New Testament. Jesus has been describing to his followers the perfect obedience that he has for the Father that evidences his perfect love for the Father. He is describing that, and then he starts into the beginning of chapter 15 with this illustration of himself as the true vine, and they almost seem disconnected. Jesus, perfect obedience, and then our need to abide in the vine. And now in this passage, he's going to tie these together in the verses that we're going to look at tonight. He's going to show us what is abiding in the vine anyway. What does that mean? It involves obedience to Jesus' commandments. And he doesn't leave us without a model or without illustration, does he? He models his obedience for us with his father and then says, now you do the same. Now, that may be easy to say. That's hard to do. And we're going to find out tonight in a beautiful sentence here how we are supposed to obey the Father in any sense like Jesus obeys. We won't be able to do it perfectly till Jesus returns, but we can show our love to Jesus and obedience to him. And he'll show us how to do that tonight. But he's going to unpack a phrase again that he's just spoken to them. Remember in John 14, 31, you don't have to turn there, but he said, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. In other words, they can tell by the obedience that Jesus has, the perfect obedience, it is the ultimate test and evidence of his love for the Father. And that's key to what he's saying here. So as we see tonight abiding in God's love. What that means, Jesus is going to point out, first of all, that obeying Jesus is the key to abiding. Let's just read these first verses 9 through 11 and pray together. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Lord, let it give us understanding tonight. We seek as we sing tonight to abide in Christ and yet it's sometimes hard to know what what's involved with that. And here we have the promise of joy that we just sing about that is ours through obedience, and yet we know it's hard to obey sometimes, and we still struggle with the remnants of the flesh, with the residue of the flesh, and it's strong within us sometimes, Lord. We're thankful that through the death, the sacrifice, the victory that Christ had, 
the flesh, we are dead to the flesh through faith in Jesus, but we still struggle with that. And you know then we struggle with obedience, and yet you offer your joy to us. So help us to understand these things and be encouraged as we go from here tonight that through your sacrifice, you have provided everything that we need to have love, to have joy, and to obey you by showing that love to others. Impress upon that on our hearts tonight the truths of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Abiding in God's love, a beautiful picture here, but one that we need to understand. And the key, first of all, to abiding is to obeying Jesus. Obeying Jesus is the key. And love and joy are experienced when we abide in Jesus. And that's the first um, chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. You guys got that? That's the first thing that we see here. This wonderful um, promise of love and joy. And we've already talked about gifts that Jesus gives, right? And he just keeps on giving as he talks with his disciples tonight. Verse 9 again, as the Lord has loved me. And that, by the way, the way that that's phrased in the Greek really points to the Father has loved me from all time. We say from eternity past, I have experienced the love of the Father. And as the Father has loved me in that amazing way, then Jesus turns this around and says, so have I loved you from eternity past? How could he love us? Until we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Well, he's going to tell us later on that he chose us. And here we have that picture of God's sovereignty. And Jesus in eternity past loving us and being willing to sacrifice himself for us. Not that there was anything in us that, that was um, deserving of that. But because of his love for us, he has always loved us. And that should give us confidence. So, what is our responsibility? And notice here, he is talking to disciples. He is talking to true followers who have put their faith in him, who are trusting in Jesus. All of these men, Judas is gone. All of these men are disciples. And so he tells them, now you abide in my love. The wonderful reality of the Father's love of the Son is that his followers receive his love as well. and we can have a constant experience of that love. The reality of that, when we abide in the vine, remember that uh, picture he gave us we saw last week, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches, and so on. And yet, it still seems kind of, if I can put it this way, kind of um, broad. It, it's, it's hard to really understand, Jesus, what does it really mean to abide in you as a vine? Uh, that that we, we may struggle with that. So Jesus is going to make this much more practical. What does it mean to abide in him? Obviously, abiding in him is the key to wonderful gifts of love and joy. Jesus makes it clear. That is, um, look at verse 10. How do we abide in his love? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Obedience, then, Jesus makes clear, is the key 
to remaining in close connection to the vine, not to establish close connection because that would be works. But he's talking about here, you are already abiding in the vine through their relationship of faith with him, through what Jesus has done. But how do they remain in the vine? That is through obedience. They must obey his commands. And Jesus says, I've demonstrated to you my love to the Father because of my full, perfect obedience. That's what he says at the end there. I have kept my Father's commandments. This has the idea of in every sense, fully. I have not been delinquent at all in keeping my Father's commandments. And so, because I obey him, I abide in his love. And that is an example that, he, that we as his followers must emulate, folks. And these disciples must emulate that. In fact, a lack of, diso, a lack of obedience, disobedience, in this context, means a distant relationship, means a distance between us and the vine. Not that, we're, not that we are unbelievers. We're talking about true disciples here. But when we refuse to obey, we're not abiding, and we can experience that love and close relationship that Jesus is talking about here. We become distant from him. We move away from him. Now, there is, there is the other side of this, that if we never obey, then surely that shows that we don't, we're not abiding in the vine at all. That was addressed in the last passage, remember? Those that won't obey, they will be cast out into the fire and are burned because they have shown that they don't have a relationship at all. But Jesus, again, is talking to men who have a true relationship with him. And they must obey him to have that close sense of, uh, of love and of his presence with them. I've told this story before, and so I won't go into all of the details, but being a counselor at the Wilds many, many years ago, had the opportunity my second week to have two um, guys, big guys that were football players, and they were twins. I think they were headed, like, they both had scholarships to the University of Wisconsin or, or something like that, and, and they, were, they were a pretty big deal to, um, to, to their high school and things. Nobody at the camp knew them well, but they, they were so good in all the games and activities. By the end of the week, our team won the events and, and the games and the competition for the whole week, and it was obvious it was partly because of these two guys on our team. And uh, it was an exciting thing to have them there. But the last service, or the night before the last service maybe, I had one, saw one of these guys at the end walk out after um, raising his hand that he didn't have assurance of his salvation. So he was being, as being one of my uh, cabin guys, I went out, quickly found him, and sat down and started talking with him. And he started talking about how he just, there was many times he didn't feel saved. He didn't feel like he was truly one of God's children. So I went through, you know, kind of the checklist. Well, do you have a time? Do you remember a time where you did put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Was there some sort at some point? Did, are, and, and then the next question is, if you can't remember that, are you now putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Sometimes people as children trust Christ, but they don't remember all the details. And so sometimes they falter and have lack of assurance because of that. So a good question is, where are you in your relationship right now with Jesus? Right now, 
Are you trusting? Are you, do you have faith in him? You have, are you trusting in him alone? And he said, yes, I, yes, I am. I said, well, then the problem is, is that you have sin in your life that's, that's um, distancing, that's interfering with that sense of closeness, just like Jesus is talking about here. And we, we probed further and he admitted there were some struggles in his life and some things that he was doing. I said, well, I said, then what you need to do is repent of that because obedience when we obey Jesus Christ, we have that sense of close relationship and of abiding. And that's what you need to do. And right then and there, we prayed and he repented. And there was a smile on his face. And he had that relationship reestablished. It was obvious. And he had joy in his heart again. He was abiding in Christ at that moment because he had asked forgiveness of his sin. There was nothing between him and the Savior. He was ready to obey again. And he had that joy of assurance. And Jesus is referring to that. If you want that joy of assurance, that evidence of personal relationship with me, then obey me. Obedience to God should never be tiresome or frustrating, should it? Sometimes it is. Sometimes we view it that way. I guess I have to do this. But in actuality, look what Jesus says in verse 11. It's a pathway to true joy. Um, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, this is true joy. This isn't the type of, of, of joy and shallow happiness that the world describes, that, um, you know, I'm happy because I had a good meal, and I'm, I'm joyful, or my, my favorite team won uh, the World Series, that's fresh on my mind, and, um, or, or uh, the or the uh, Super Bowl, and now I'm joyful and excited. That's a different type of joy altogether that we've all experienced. But that's not the type of joy that Jesus is talking about here, obviously. That's shallow. But it is a deep sense of satisfaction knowing that we are obeying, pleasing God, that we are in close communion with Jesus, and it's an inner joy that's almost hard to describe until you're experiencing it. And Jesus says, this type of joy will be in you. And I'm telling you these things so that you can experience them. And not just a little bit. Don't be satisfied with just a smidgen or just a certain percentage of joy in your life. Jesus says, no, your joy can be what? Full. You can have the full experience. If you're willing to obey my commandments and abide in my love. You know, I want to share I, I, a, a child's Sunday school song came to mind, and I'm usually careful about children's Sunday school songs because I remember learning a lot of songs in, in, when I was a kid at church that were pretty shallow. And I look back, and I, of course, they were fun to sing as kids, and we had a great time with it. But then I look back and say, you know, that, that message is, is shallow or even worse, it's unbiblical, and sometimes it's not even it's not even uh, the word of God. It's not, uh, doesn't um, follow after the word of God at all. And so um, I'm careful when I mention this. So at the same time, when we talk about songs that we sang when we were kids, um, there's a sense of thinking through, is it, was it appropriate? Does it match God's word? But we all know the experience at the same time of singing um, Jesus loves me and seeing even adults tear up by the truths of that song. When I was thinking about this true joy, 
a song came to mind. I wrote the text down here. You remember that song, Happiness is the Lord? It may sound a little, it may almost sound a little trite in the way that we used to sing it. It was a little energetic and it sounded a little trite. But over the years, I've thought about those words and they actually are um, deeply reflective of scripture and what this joy is all about. And they're very understandable to, to hear. So I'll just read you the text here to describe further what this joy is. Happiness is to know the Savior, living a life within his favor, pleasing him, having a change in my behavior, spiritual maturity, the work of the Spirit. Happiness is the Lord. Happiness is a new creation, the new birth, trusting in Christ and being made a new person. Jesus and me, now that's not good grammar, I don't think, in close relation, having a part in his salvation. Happiness is the Lord. Real joy is mine. And that reminds us we're not just talking about shallow happiness, happy smiles and faces here, but real joy is mine. No matter if the teardrops start, I've found a secret. It's Jesus in my heart. Happiness is to be forgiven, living a life that's worth the living, taking a trip that leads to heaven. Happiness is the Lord. And that is a good description of this true joy that Jesus is talking about here. And I, I almost wanted to break out in the song, but uh, I'll, I'll spare you that tonight. <laughs> uh, now I've gone through it. I'm like, I really want to sing this. <laughs> but it, it gives us a picture of this true joy that is ours. No matter what things are bringing tears to our eyes, we can have this joy. Love and joy are experienced when we abide in Jesus. And obedience is expected. Let's continue on in verse 12 here. In order to abide regularly in Jesus, to consistently abide in that relationship with him, Jesus does expect our obedience. He will give wonderful gifts. And in return, he says, you be faithful. Verse 12, Jesus makes it very clear. How could it be any clearer? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. What does this represent? But one of the two greatest commandments to love one another as Jesus has loved us. I'm going to just, just as a reminder, uh, Jesus has given us the two great commandments in Matthew chapter 22. You don't have to turn there. Let's be a, let's have a reminder here of these two all encompassing the greatest two commandments, right? Jesus said unto them, thou shalt first love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, with all thy being, love God. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's an amazing statement. But you think about even the Ten Commandments, the first Section of those are commandments are directed toward God. The second are toward our relationship with others. So it's all throughout scripture. And Jesus focuses now on the second of those commandments, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, it's a beautiful statement. It's easy to say, but let's be honest, it's impossible to do. It really is. In, in, in amongst our own flesh, in, uh, in amongst our weaknesses, it's impossible. We have to abide in Jesus. 
to be able to love in this fashion. And that is his expectation. Jesus says, I expect that you will obey, you will abide, and then you will be able to love others. I remember one time uh, my dad making it a point. Now, I, I know this may be hard to believe, but growing up as the oldest of four brothers, there were a few times where we got into some minor disagreements and we might have come close to some physical ways of dealing with that at times. And there was one time in particular, I don't even remember what it was about, but my, my, I was um, arguing with the second brother, Scott, um, I, I was the oldest and then Scott, then Wade and Eric and Scott and I were arguing about something. And I remember my dad finding out about it. He had just had it for whatever reason. He's like, I'm done. You guys have to stop this. And he said, I'm going to make you do something. <clears throat> I'm going to have you sit down on this couch here. You sit down on this couch right next to each other, just right next to each other. And we didn't want to be close to each other. And so we sat down anyway, because we knew dad was serious and we'd be in more trouble if we didn't do so we're sitting next to each other and we were just angry with each other. And dad said, now I want you to hold hands. Dad. And both of us were like, I mean, we were close to disobedience at that point. We did not immediately obey because there was no desire at all to be anywhere near that brother that we were supposed to love. But it was a command that our father was giving to us that you you are going to at least show a symbol of love for each other if you can't do it in your heart. And so we had to sit there and hold hands. And it was like, oh, it was, it was excruciating because we had no desire in and of ourselves to do that at all. We, we were the farthest away from that as possible. Well, unfortunately, sometimes when we come to this command about loving others, we can be so angry with other people that when we hear Jesus say this, our hearts can automatically react and oh Jesus that's how can I I mean so and so but you want me to love this person and, and all the struggles that I've had with them I, I, I can't do that it's too hard Lord it's impossible to love to obey your commandment and then Jesus says verse 14 he gives the way forward because it is impossible to love in the way that Jesus is calling here Apart from this beautiful, great truth, one of the most beautiful statements ever written, right? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Amazing in its scope. One of the most beautiful sayings ever recorded, but folks, it's also one of the most trivialized ever. As the world even hears this and says, oh, that's beautiful. And what the world does with this is they apply it in this way. When I have somebody that we really get along and that I really love and that really does wonderful things for me and we have a wonderful relationship and we're very close and they're my best friend and they're just such a comfort to me that if something were to happen to them, I think I could imagine myself giving my life for them because of such a great friend that they are and all that they do for me, that tends to be the world's idea of the beauty of this. But we know as believers that that is such a shallow interpretation. And we know that it's so much deeper than that. Because what Jesus is saying here is he is in maybe greater detail than he has up to this point. He is pointing to his own sacrifice. And greater love has no one than this 
that someone lay down his life for his friends, his friends who ultimately had rejected him apart from his sacrifice and his um, death on the cross. He was willing to give up his love to die, to give up, to, to give the ultimate sacrifice for these followers to die for their sins, to provide forgiveness for their sins, to shed his own blood for people that had rejected him. That is the true beauty of this statement. And those of us that know Jesus Christ know better than anyone else in the world, anybody else, that Jesus here is referring to his sacrifice. And it's also, he's saying, because of his sacrifice, that will enable his followers to be able to obey him and follow his commandments. How can I show God's love? It's impossible. Jesus says, it won't be impossible because I'm going to die. And I'm going to shed my blood and provide forgiveness of sins so that you can obey. And I can call you my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And I, as your friend, will die for you so that you can obey me. Isn't that amazing? God just doesn't call us to obey him. Jesus just doesn't give a strict command, obey me or else. But he says, obey me and I'll give my life so that you can do just that. Folks, marvel at these truths. Marvel at the love of Jesus here. Let's continue verse 15. No longer then do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus doesn't demonstrate the cruel, stern commands of a master to a slave. No, he describes here that friendship is a privilege of knowing him. And instead, he describes here of him taking followers into his confidence as friends and explaining his plans for them, his mission. He has revealed to them the mission that his father has given him, and he will have more to reveal in their future. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. He doesn't treat us as slaves, calling us sternly to obey him with a whip or something like that. But he says, you are my friends. Here, I'm transparent about what I want from you. I'm taking you into my confidence. I'm letting you know what the expectations are for you. And I treat you in love with my expectations as friends. And so he continues on that friendship is a privilege of knowing Jesus. But then he also talks about being fruitful. He will help them to be fruitful is the result of knowing Jesus. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name he will give it to you. Jesus reminds them here in case they're getting a little prideful at this point. Hey, we're the friends of Jesus. We deserve that. Hey, guys, you know, we've been talking about being with him in his kingdom, and he just called us his friends. Wow, we're, we're pretty good. That's a pretty nice status symbol. Jesus says, remember, you didn't choose me, but I chose you from before the foundations of the world, before from eternity past. And because I chose you, I have a mission for you, that you be fruitful, go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. It will continue, 
and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Jesus says, I will enable you to be fruitful, and you need to ask me and my Father to be fruitful, and I will answer that request. So you, you ask, and I will help you to be fruitful. Finally, verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus expects us. What's his final commandment in this passage is that we will show love to each other. And he commands it, but he also gives us the ability to be able to obey that command. And talking about this joy as we finish up this morning, another quote here from um, a scholar named Leon Morris. Jesus looks for their joy to be filled. That is complete. It is no cheerless, barren existence that Jesus plans for his people, but the joy of which he speaks comes only as they are wholehearted in their obedience to his commands. Folks, to be half-hearted in our obedience to him is to get the worst of both worlds. Don't serve Jesus Christ half-heartedly, but show love to others because he has provided us the ability to do that through his own sacrifice. Jesus' gift of his very own life enables us to show his love to others is the final point here. And what does that mean? We have no excuses in showing Christ's love to a world that needs it. Lord, help us. Let us marvel in this and be thankful that not only do you call us to what is an impossible task to show your sacrificial love, the love that you and the Father have for each other, the love that you give to us to show that to others is impossible, and yet you made the impossible possible, Lord, when you died and offered yourself up so that we could obey, so that we could have eternal life and be forgiven of our sins. Greater love truly has no man than this. But a man that Jesus would lay down his life for his friends. Let us give no more excuses about why we shouldn't love our church family, our own personal families, those in our world that need to see the love of Christ. There are no more excuses, Lord, but help us to remember what Jesus has done for us that has enabled us to be able to show sacrificial love to this dark world. Help us to do this well. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.